0: And our guest today is Tim Toady. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second with a discussion with Tim. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. And then a seven year old kid in, in Texas starts knocking on doors and he's asking for his age in dollars. 77. 777. He raises 22 grand. And we said, wow, this is a big idea. You know, everybody in the world could care about clean water. Everybody in the world has a birthday every year. And we have enough stuff. What if we could turn the birthday into a giving moment, into an unselfish day, our birthdays, so people could live longer and have birthdays? To find out more, visit charitywater.org. As you know, this podcast has no guests. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. When I started out, a lot of people who were going to work with this podcast questioned the idea that it had no guests. Now, more than 100 episodes later, it seems to be working out okay. But what about Tim Toady? What about Tim Toady's cousin, Tim Toady Bicarbonate? What about the idea of intentional action. You may have guessed that Tim Toady is not a real person. Tim Toady is an acronym from the PEARL programming language. It sort of stands for, there's more than one way to do it. What does that mean? It means that in the Perl programming language, one of the ideas is that you could do something a little different Than the standard way. In fact, that there isn't a standard way. You could print one way, you could print a different way. Or if you wanted to, you could use a more verbose way to cause the program to print. This undermines a lot of engineering thinking. Engineering thinking, the idea of benchmarking, of finding the right tool for the job, and then no longer looking for the right tool, enables us to build up traditions of productivity. That's why Tim Toady's cousin is named Tim Toady Bicarbonate, which sort of stands for there's more than one way to do it, but sometimes consistency is not a bad thing either. So, intentional action. Who's it for? What's it for? What exactly are you trying to do? And who are you trying to do it for? The hammer has been around a long time. Is it possible to bang in a nail with your shoe? Yeah, I guess it's possible, sometimes if the wood is soft enough. But there's a right way to do it. Use a hammer. Certain things you're building, you should use a screw, not a hammer. Is it possible to use a hammer and a nail, not a screw and a screwdriver? Of course it is. But will it get you the desired result. When I started my blog, back before blogging was a thing, there were times when my blog had comments on it. But over time, I came to the conclusion that comments were getting in the way of what I sought to do. Anonymous comments from people who didn't understand what I had posted that day were causing me to second-guess the way that I was writing. They were causing me to hesitate before I wrote something. They were causing me to get less specific and more general, anticipating the comments I was going to get tomorrow. And I realized I had a choice. I could have a blog with comments but no posts because I was never going to post again. Or I could have a blog with no comments. And when I turned off comments, a bunch of people were really upset. And what they said is, it's not a blog. It's not a blog if you don't have comments. You're doing it wrong. And this idea of you're doing it wrong gets in the way of us often doing something that's important or creative or brave. Because if you're doing something that's creative, you're probably not following the established path. That if you are hammering in a nail exactly the way everyone else hammers in a nail, you might be doing it right, at least according to the current standard, but... You're not doing anything creative. So back to the idea of who's it for and what's it for. What change are we seeking to make? Who are we seeking to do this work for and with? Because if you can't be specific about that, then you're probably simply doing it for yourself. And if you're doing it for yourself, there's no way for anyone else to tell if you're doing a good job. Go ahead, entertain yourself, knock yourself out, do it any way you want to. But for the rest of us, if we are trying to build something, change something, contribute something, we are doing it for someone else. And that gets us back to Tim Tody, Because if we need to solve a problem, for example, taking someone's blood pressure, we have two choices. We can invest a lot of time and energy making up a new way to take someone's blood pressure, or we can take someone's blood pressure the standard way. If you're a nurse, the standard way seems to make sense because then you can get back to what you're there for, the patient that's right in front of you. However, if the standard way isn't gonna work for whatever reason, then your creativity in that area is essential. We engaged with somebody a little while ago in one of our workshops, and she said she hates to follow rules. And so she started doing things outside of the structure of how we had built the workshop. This is a little like driving on the wrong side of the road. Driving on the wrong side of the road is not a creative act. Driving on the wrong side of the road simply violates a rule because you can violate a rule, and it is likely to make traffic significantly less efficient than if you had followed the rule. To be creative means to be clear about why we're doing it in the first place, to solve the problem that is in front of us. So yes, if a tree is down on the side of the road and you need to get somewhere in a hurry and the road is deserted, crossing the double yellow line and driving on the other side is a creative solution to the problem that is in front of you. Back when I was in college, we had an engineering project, what happens If there's a wreck inside the Callahan Tunnel in Boston, how could we possibly get the tow truck in there to get the jackknife tractor-trailer out from inside the tunnel? Because the traffic is going to back up all the way to South Boston. Well, the answer was, go the wrong way. Because on the other side, there's no traffic at all because the downed truck stopped all the cars that were behind it. That's a creative solution because we are clear about what the problem is. Is there another way to solve the problem? Sure there is. I don't know. You could get a submersible pump, put a boat out above the tunnel, submerge the pump, drill a hole. I don't know. We can go on and on. It depends on what you are seeking to do. And so what we need to distinguish between are knowledge and facility with existing methods and tools. Because the method that is being used is already good enough. Because our job, our promise is not to solve the problem a new way, but to use the standard tools to solve the problem the efficient way, so we can get back to work, which is the change we seek to make. But sometimes we sign up for something else. Sometimes we sign up for art, for creativity for changing the system itself. If that is what we sought to do, then of course you have to do it a different way. Of course you have to say there's more than one way to do it because if there's only one way to do it, you have no business working on the project. So when I think about interventions in existing systems, they tend to be the most productive when we do them on purpose. And if we're doing them on purpose, we should be able to announce in advance what we seek to do. Measure me on this. Measure me on that. Is there more than one way to broadcast a football game? Well, in the 1960s, they were all broadcast about the same way. But then someone came along and added multiple cameras. And then someone else figured out how to do instant replay which amazingly for more than 20 years was done by hand, slowing down the reels as they went through the machine. And then John Madden figured out how to write on the screen with a pen. Each one of these new ways to do it had a purpose. The purpose was to get more viewer engagement. The purpose was to get the ratings to go up so that they could sell more ads. Either they worked or they didn't work. So when Tim Toady shows up, we have to ask him the following question. Are you here just to be interesting, just to be difficult, just so that we will pay attention to you? Or are you here because you're going to show us a better way to do it, a way to achieve more of our goals? Something that's little understood about the programming business is Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow, an extraordinary website that gets more than a billion visits a year to help programmers find other programmers who will generously show them the right way to solve a problem. By becoming the world's largest repository of the right way to use a programming language to solve a problem, the act of programming has become significantly easier, and the power of what's built keeps getting better, because you can find snippets of code that have been battle-tested that work. That the who's it for and the what's it for is clear, and you can assemble them into a new thing, a better thing, built on proven building blocks. So I'm in favor of our guest today, Tim Toady, when he needs to be there to do something better. But the rest of the time, his cousin, Tim Toady Bicarbonate, which means there's more than one way to do it, but doing it consistently. Is going to save the rest of us a lot of trouble? Send him in instead. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a second with answers to questions from last time. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. When is it time to level up? When is it time to learn a new way to see the world, to connect with others, to lead? to engage in possibility. Akimbo is a B Corp, an independently owned and operated institution designed around learning, not education, not certificates, not grades, but learning together. It works if you do the work. I hope you'll check out what the people at Akimbo are up to. Visit akimbo.com go to find out about their new upcoming workshops and how it all works. Thanks. hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any previous episode, please visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and click the appropriate button. As we head into a new year, a fresh new year, blue skies, open powder, a chance to make things better. I am thrilled by the questions you're submitting, by the possibilities that you are surfacing. I've got four Q&A to go through today, so here we go.
2: Hi, Seth. Cherry in London, England here. Thank you so much for inspiring us every day. I'm a huge fan of your work, your blog, and really try to live by all the advice you've given us. My question today is, um, what is the best way to evoke inspirations and creativity to a workplace and workforce that has been you know, quite complacent for a long time? Um, I'm currently working for a company that has been that was known for its thought-provoking creativity um, decades ago, but seem have really lost that spark over the last, you know, few years of, of operations. And I think the management team sees the need to injecting new ideas, new thoughts, and energy, but really having a problem trying to convince its employees to think and act differently. And you know, quoting your purple cow, try to make their work remarkable.
0: Thank you for this, Jerry. Here's the thing culture is local and culture is temporary there are people who work in your organization who remember how it used to be but remembering how it used to be is different than knowing how it is now and companies that have long standing employees tend to have more persistent culture when there's lots of turnover there's lots of opportunities to start fresh it's not the building that determines the culture. It's the simple question, what are things like around here? And if people are holding back, if people are nervous, if people are afraid, it's because they are getting the signal that it's not going to work, whatever new thing they'd like to bring to the table. That signal is probably coming from senior management that is afraid, and senior management is afraid because of the ghosts of senior management that was there before them. And so we see the downward spiral that so many businesses go through because something gets a little bit run down, so there's a little bit less money. And so if there's a little bit less money, then things aren't quite as well done. And around and around it goes. And it takes a burst of innovation, positivity, optimistic leadership to turn the cycle around. And so, yes, you see the relevance to the world we live in right now. We're months away from a vaccine. We are taking a deep breath and thinking about what's going to happen going forward. And it's easy to think about what was happening last month or six months ago, because nothing is perfect, nothing is fixed all at once. And that gets back to my point about it all being local. If three people or five people together in an office on a Zoom call decide what things are like around here, it will become what they say it is like. It will not be perfect. It will not be applauded by everyone in the organization, but you can make it that way. Just as what's going on in one English seminar is different than what's going on in an engineering class down the hall, it is possible to create these pockets, these pockets of optimism. But it's only going to happen when people who are seen as having authority and status start demonstrating, not talking, but demonstrating what things are like around here. I hope that gives you a little bit of a way to start on this process.
4: Hi Seth, this is Alberto from Argentina. First of all, I wanted to thank you for showing up every week with a new episode. My question is related to things that I've been listening and reading in the practice mainly, and it's related to my audience. I feel that I got something to give to show and I really want to commit to that and deliver. But on the other hand that I'm not sure who is my audience. So I feel kind of stuck because I don't start, um, producing because I'm not sure who am I producing for, but on the other hand, if I don't start, I will never know who is my audience. So I'm kind of stuck in this loop and I would like, uh, your advice and your comments that would be really helpful.
0: Thank you, Alberto. Yes, the catch 22 is clear and it's an easy one to fall into. Here's my mantra pick your audience, pick your future. If you decide to serve people who are difficult to find, difficult to close a sale with, difficult to serve, then that's the life you've signed up for. If you decide to serve people who know they need what you do and have money and are eager to pay for it, then that's the life that you signed up for. If you pick a board of directors, That is constantly busting your chops? Well, that's the life you signed up for. Pick your customers, pick your future. So I would argue that rather than starting with customers, start with future. What do you want things to be like where you work, with the work that you do? Who will give you the fuel you need to serve them? And then, once you've figured that out, try to discover if there's anybody who fits that description. And if there isn't, adjust your sights and repeat, pick your customers, pick your future.
4: My name is Michel Porro, and I'm from a small town outside Amsterdam, the Netherlands. As a multiple Akimbo workshops alumni, and as a reader of most of your books, I started implementing, bit by bit, your advice to regularly ship about three years ago. I wanted to change the world, and I still do, and make it more sustainable and circular because I had no experience at all in this field and no one would hire me, I started looking, doing sales work on spec for free for a small company that I really admire. We agreed that I would get a reasonable commission for every successful lead that results in a sale. This I have been doing now for three years with no substantial results so far until the last few weeks. Some prospects now see me as credible and want to listen to my story and some have expressed serious interest to buy. In the beginning, however, and until very recently, the nose felt like a real disappointment. It seemed I was going nowhere. This journey somehow feels like driving in the fog on a straight road at 60 miles an hour with very restricted view. The thing I knew for sure is that the only thing that could get me out of this fog is driving on with the knowledge that the landscape and the rewards would reveal itself. I could have walked this path because of two things. I was completely done with my previous job and I wanted to change very badly. And I had saved enough money to sustain for three years. Secondly, I must admit that your ongoing rants about shipping and letting my own voice be heard has been the main motivator. My question is, what advice would you give um, how to decide where and when the moment arrives to stop and start something else. For me, it's been three years now and only now in the past, let's say two weeks, I can see an exciting glimmer of hope and, I, and that I can and will be successful. If it wasn't for the financial reserve, I would have had to stop perhaps two years ago. In that case, I would not have been able to get to this point where the fog slowly evaporates. Thank you for everything.
0: Thank you for this, Michelle, and thank you for the work that you are doing. I applaud your dedication to making a difference. But one of the things we know about getting through the dip, one of the things we know about making a difference is that we need two things, resilience and its cousin, diversity. Resilience because it takes longer than we think it will. Resilience because the world rarely ends up the way we expect it to. And diversity because if we have a diverse portfolio, then we're okay if one thing we were counting on doesn't come through. And I don't know anything about the details of what you're doing, but if you are in the spot it sounds like you're on, it's probably because there's some combination missing of resilience in the face of resistance from the people you're trying to sell to and diversity because you've put all of your eggs into a basket. And one of the things we learned from the dip is that you have to push and persist to get through it, but the other thing we know is that it really helps to have a diverse portfolio so that you can stick it out long enough to get through the dip. So I can offer you no reassurance because I don't know enough and because reassurance is futile, but what I can say to you and others who are in a similar situation is we can't just keep betting on red eights coming up. We have to persist in being unfragile. We have to realize that the world rarely comes out the way we hope, but that we have to have enough resources to power our way through because the work we're doing is important enough to dedicate ourselves in that way.
1: Hey, Seth, this is Zach from Kaysville, Utah. Love the podcast, one of the most paradigm-shifting podcasts I've ever listened to. I just finished listening to your podcast on the New York Times bestseller list. I, too, am in the publishing industry. And although we know that bestseller lists are dying, it's still what I would call a bit of addiction to try and get onto. We don't worry about the New York Times bestseller list. I'd love to know about the wall street journal bestseller list from your point of view. We try to hit it with every book launch that we have within our company. Sometimes we hit it. Sometimes we don't. We recently launched a book that I felt deserved to be on it. We legitimately and ethically did everything we could to get it on the list. We had the numbers, but because of NPD book scan, we were kicked off because of the bulk sales. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list as well as being able to shift the mindset of people to not be quote-unquote addicted to the list if that's something you agree with. Thanks again, Seth, and thanks for changing the world. I'm trying to do what what I can with my thoughts.
0: Thank you, Zach, for this and for publishing books that people really want to read. The question is pretty simple. That Wall Street Journal bestseller list, what's it for? If it's an internal measure of whether you and your team are doing a good job, well then, when they have a policy that boxes you out now and then, don't worry about it. On the other hand, if you believe it is a label that helps you sell books to people who like buying bestsellers, then I would challenge you to find a more reliable label. Figure out a way to message people that that book is a book worth reading. Because the fact is, if you're Focused on business books and the Wall Street Journalist, you're only trying to sell to 0.1% of the people in the population, less than 1%. So, who are they looking to? Who is curating for them? Making great books, books that people choose to talk about, is reliably the single best way to make a difference in book publishing. Promotion doesn't really work either you're already super famous and the book's going to sell no matter what. Or you write a book that 10 people tell 10 people about. Because 10 times 10 times 10 quickly gets us to 1,000 and then you're off to the races. Sean Coyne taught me very simply, the author and the publisher's job is to sell the first 10,000 copies. And after that, it's the book's job to sell the rest. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you all next time.
3: I just don't think it's possible or probable in, in today's world to distinguish yourself as an educational institution or as a success seeker at the level of, of information gathering or information distribution. I mean, this is the information age and you can get a great book, a great essay, a great idea anywhere, you know? And none of us can do that better than the internet, right? Um, there is no great thought leader who can outthink the internet, like we have data. What All-MBA gets right is it puts you in a context where you're part of a community that says yeah 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 that's good you got access to ideas you got access to information that's awesome but when you're going to show up when you're going to face that blank page when you're going to face the possibilities within you when are you going to face those fears i'm not going to let you hide you got to show up and that's the hardest part and it sounds simple it sounds very commonsensical but It's the number one reason why we don't write that book. It's the number one reason why we don't ask that question. It's not because we don't know or we don't have the information. We don't have an environment and we don't have a support network that makes it feel like showing up is possible for me. Not just possible for the success stories I see out there, but I can show up.
0: Consider the Alt-MBA. More than 3,000 alumni in 74 countries around the world. Find out more at altmba.com.